0: Look at the shining light. The shining light. Have you ever, you ever grown to a point in your life where you needed some reinstruction? How about, can I see a show of hands? You need some reinstruction. You know what you're doing. You know what you have done and you've handled it before, but you need some reinstruction. You see, a lot of people have strokes, they have to relearn to talk or relearn to walk or just to feed themselves because it just, it's gone, you see. Traumatic brain injuries. Uh, Brad was, came up earlier and told me that Bryce, they red-shirted Bryce. she's had a couple of concussions. The girl plays basketball. How do you get concussions in basketball? Except them big old college girls knocking her around. That's how it is. Yeah. So she, she said, Dad, I'm not really too bad, too mad about that. <laughs> she, she kind of ready to take a break. But you know, it can really affect you. It's the same way it is with the Lord. We can be walking the Lord and we can be walking the walk and we can really be on top of things and then get satisfied or get upset or get angry or get bitter. And then we kind of let the things that we have remembered or that kept us going or maybe made us successful before, based on the Word of God, we have to be re instructed on what that means. Chapters one through seven, we've seen the development of the character of Nehemiah, and it's much like the verse in Second Peter uh, one five through seven. I've got that on the board for you. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. You see, they're building on each other, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, if you start out with faith... And you've got to add to the goodness. Then you've got to add from goodness to knowledge and from knowledge to self-control. Self-control to perseverance. And boy, if you're a parent, you understand perseverance. Even if you're not a parent, you understand perseverance. Because you may be married to one that <laughs> is like a child. I, get, I used to get that all the time. Still do occasionally. Cindy said, no, I have, th- I have four boys, not three. But we've got to begin to develop these inner qualities so that God can be praised and that the walls that we've knocked down can be rebuilt. Gates in our life can be restored. And and the best way and the fastest way is is in our memory verse in Romans uh, chapter 12 and verse 2. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, the, the beginning of the transformation happens in your mind. It's like losing weight. You'll never lose weight until you determine in your mind you're going to do it. Get your heart involved in it and go do it. Quit using excuses. Man, I've used them for years. Still do. Go Exercise and quit eating so much. There's the key. There's no magic bullet. Doctors have asked me they've told me my my doctors have told me I need to have gastric bypass surgery. I said, Doc, if I don't change what's in between my ears about food, what what good's you gonna do shrinking my stomach? You see, we've got to change. And renew the mind. We've got to understand this is a powerful instrument. Powerful instrument. And that renewing only can take place, and and that transformation can only hold forth when we add the Word of God to that transformation process. Now, our knowledge of the Word of God is real important, but our understanding of it is even more important. And so chapter 8 opens with a display of a great hunger for the word from the people in Jerusalem. When in the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So, On the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest brought the law before the assembly. Underline that in your Bible. Priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. I mean, that would include uh, teenage children, perhaps children even as young as eight or nine years of age. People who could understand what was being read to them. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. It's important that we have the Word of God read in the assembly when we gather together. We've set out this year to be in the Word more directly than perhaps I've been in the past. Now we're in the Word every every Sunday, don't get me wrong. I'm not preaching out of the reader's digest, we're preaching out of the Word of God. But this is why we're methodically going through Nehemiah. I want you to see the, the lessons that are are here, but it's not enough to hear them and know about them. You gotta apply them to your life. Okay? There weren't any invitations sent out for this crowd that gathered. The people came as one man. No public notice given. People were hungry for the answers to their problems, to the walls in their lives being rebuilt. They needed the answers, and the only way they were going to get them was from the Word of God. And they, Ezra then was encouraged to come and to, to read the Word of God, and he did at the water gate. Remember back in chapter 3? We talked about the water gate. Water gate representing the Word of God, the water of life. So they would no doubt he would read the five first early books Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy. People had a great desire to hear the truth. They wanted to know what was going on. It's interesting today in our culture, isn't it, that we're hearing about fake news. Fake news. I don't know if that's a new thing. Of course I heard last week it's very fake news. <laughs> you see and it's interesting because it's really how a question's asked, whether it seems like it's fake news or, or it's a legitimate question. Why do we have to play such games in life? Because, see, the hunt for truth is right here. i tell you something that blew me away was Melania Trump standing up yesterday at a rally and offering the Lord's Prayer to start it. She stands up and she says, Our Father, who art in heaven... I'm just going, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. It's just refreshing. It's just refreshing. Now, I don't know if that was a political ploy or what, but you know I don't really care. It's the fact that my God was being promoted. I like it. I like it. We need more of that. But we need a crying out for the Word. So when people had finished their work, they had rebuilt the wall, 52 days, remember? Record time. They were desperate to hear the Word of God, so they sent for Ezra to lead them in that. So he stands by the water grate and he begins to read. He opens the Word and people begin to understand it themselves. There's nothing more rewarding than when you're teaching or when you're sharing from the Word of God and somebody finally gets it. Uh, uh, uh. Teachers know that. When a student finally gets it, it may take you all year long for them to finally get something but they finally get it you go oh. wow that's the way it is with the word of god you got to hear it but you got to understand it you got to grab hold of it and the great tragedy that in so few churches today they seem to they they just don't see and understand the power of the scripture Look at these next verses. They demonstrate how, how important it is. Ezra, the, starting verse 4. Ezra, the scribe, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood uh, Matthewithiah, Matthew, <laughs> Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Pediah, Messel, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadana. I love that one. Zechariah and Meshullam. Man. God, I need to go to seminary just to get these names out. But Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And he opened it and the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord and the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces on the ground. You ever wonder why preachers stand up on the stage? I think it's because of this passage right here. You know, in some of the denominational churches, uh, high liturgical churches, the preachers still climb up in the in the high pulpits. And look down on you. Boy, they preach down on you. I got to stand up in one of those. Man, that's really high up there. If I fell out of that, I'd hurt myself. Woo! But when you're standing up there with a robe on, you can't go anywhere. They have a, they have a, a strap to No, I'm just. Kidding. But look at look, the people made it clear that they wanted to learn. The Levites. God never forgets the names of people. I mean, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jammon, Aqib, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Mashiach, Kalida, Azariah, Jehoshaphat, Hanan, and Peliah. I mean, He never forgets a name, and I'm glad. These names are crazy. But He still knows Harold, and He knows Leah, and He knows Brad, and He knows Brian, and He knows Sherry. He knows... Instructed the people of the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. See, it's not enough to get to hear it. You've got to be able to respond to it. The primary business of Christians is to understand the Word of God so as to think God's thoughts after him. To learn to think like God. And then to act like God. And it's not only important to know what the scripture says, it's even more important to know what it means. That's why when I teach I'm always asking you questions, because I want to make sure you're getting it. We probably ought to have that in the sermons. You know, do you get this? Tell me what you don't get. What's the question here? In fact, in the in the Corinthian letter when Paul says women should be silent in the church, is that because they talk too much? No, it's because they were segregated. The women sat away from the men. And the women would holler down at their husbands, Hey! Ask him what this means! And he says, you should, you should do that in your home privately. And let the man come back in the culture, the man come back and ask the question. Now, some women today are going nuts over that. Well, i don't ask my question, but I won't ask my question. Yeah, you can. But you couldn't then. You see. But wouldn't it be fun to just have a little back and forth dialogue? I don't know if preachers could handle that. Most of them, you know, tunnel visions. Don't, don't get me off here. Off Look at verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the word of the law. Why were they weeping? Because that's what happens when the Word of God affects you. It can cause you to weep. You ever been reading a passage of Scripture and then find yourself weeping? Well, I have. If you haven't, man, well, I need to give you some strategic verses to read. When I read the healing verses, I've got them on a handout for you in the back if you're interested. But there's, there's a hundreds of healing verses you read some of those healing verses and, and you know, and if you're hurting, man, they'll tear you right up. They will. And we need to understand that. I remember Millie Bowman years ago, she would sit back on this corner back here, right where Pat is. That was her spot every Sunday. And she had a lot of back trouble, like Diane's suffering now. And Millie was a very tall woman. If you remember, if you never remember, Millie. But boy, she would, and there would be Sundays she would be weeping, and I'd ask her, I'd say, it, you know, Millie, is it, what's what what's going on? She said, well, preacher, she said, my back hurts, but what you have said about Jesus in the Word that that's got me thinking. So it gets her weeping. So you know, we gotta let the Word of God affect us. And that's what the ministry of the Scripture is. It's to the human heart. It's to prick the heart, to motivate the heart, and to get you to move forward and do something besides sit down and let everybody else do it. Get up and do it. Get up and be involved. Okay? And it's much like what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of the man's heart's, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. You see, it's all coming from where? From within. You may look like a wonderful, beautiful, vibrant Christian on the outside, but rotten to the core on the inside. But I also believe if you're rotten in here, it's going to come out here. But if you're pure... And striving for purity on the inside, it's going to come out here. If you're upset, you're angry, you're bitter, you don't want, it's going to come out. It's going to come out when you try to meet people. It's going to come out when you try to talk to people. It's going to come out when you say anything. You just got that look on your face. Yep. Because that all comes from within. But sometimes we've got to look at the sin in our own life and realize and realize how bad it is and how bad we've made it because there are choices that we make our sin is the choice that we make right it's not the choice you make or she makes or he makes it's the choice I make I make that choice you don't make it for me I make it I decide whether I'm going to drive real fast (laughs) I decide that see I like to get in the middle lane on the creek turnpike why the middle lane? They can go around me. I set it on 65 and I just cruise along. They pass me like I am sitting still and looking at me. Like... They're waving at me and doing all kinds of stuff. I'm just grinning as I go along. And halfway down the road, some of them will get stopped. And that's even better, isn't it? Because you go by and just... ran across these uh, statements that some journalists, I'll, I guess I say that loosely, but they, this one guy worked for uh, the New York Times, and these were written a number of years ago, but I want you to hear how he's describing the culture of this day. I can barely stomach the newspapers here in my hometown, and the tabloids day after day of the first four or five pages are routinely filled with stories of parents beating or starving their children to death, of children plotting to kill their parents, of people being killed by random gunshots, of people chopping up other people, of cyanide being put in yogurt at the supermarkets. America, I think, is out of control in some very weird ways. I don't know how bad it really is or exactly why it's happening. There are obviously many, many reasons, beginning with the unrelenting pressure of living in an open and competitive society. I don't know the answer to any of this. I suspect that things will get worse before they get better. Richard Estrada, writing in the Dallas Morning News, said this, More than anything else... This ugly social breakdown threatens to desensitize us as a nation. Wild West shootouts that kill innocent bystanders have become commonplace. Drug dealers and gang members have taken to using children as murderers. Executions of entire families by drug dealers are not unknown. Sweeps of whole communities by police bent on stopping the killing are now routine in Los Angeles. Numbered by it all, we as a people shrug our shoulders something is dangerously amiss This is not the America most of us grew up to revere. We are demeaned as a people by this retrogression. We are less and less civilized. These things were written back in the 80s. Unbelievable. Could be just lifted right out of today's headlines. And why could we do that? It's because sin hasn't ever changed. Sin has never changed. The only thing, the only answer to this is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only answer to the turmoil in your life, to the to the frustrations in your life, to the bitterness in your life. It's all about a relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you don't have it, you're never going to survive. You're never going to survive. And what's most frightening is the lack of a sense of sin. In our society today. What seems to be evil is good. And what's good seems to be evil. Now I think that's on a turn a little bit. Just briefly on a turn. I hope it does a complete turn. But we. You know I may not agree with you. I think Brian put this on a Facebook post. A week or so ago. I I don't have to agree with you. But I still need to be nice to you. It doesn't cost me anything to be kind does it. Okay, so we disagree. Big deal. I can still love you and hug you. And I'll even buy you dinner. Come on. Because it's okay to disagree. I don't agree with you about Scripture on every piece of Scripture, and you don't agree with me on every piece of Scripture. Doy used to take me, Doy Doke used to take me and get me biscuits and gravy when he disagreed with me. Because he knew that it was better to eat and you know, disagree than it was to just disagree. You see. The Word of God, powerful. But though weeping is necessary and it's important, it's not the final message God has for us. And to show that, Nehemiah and Ezra speak up and correct the people. Look in verse 10. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for there is a sacred day. Do not grieve. And all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. You see, even though the words were causing them to weep, the the teachers were saying, Rejoice! Rejoice, because now you understand where you are and where you stand with God, but the joy of the Lord is your strength. If the enemy can rob you of your joy, he wins. He wins. I'm not very joyful. I don't have anything to be joyful about. Dead-end job. Don't make enough money. Wife doesn't love me. Kids hate me. Car won't start. Dog won't even come to me. Man, that's a pretty ugly-looking guy, isn't it? I wonder if he lifted his head and tried to change his attitude if that wouldn't shift some of that. Now, I told you some time ago, a lady came at me right here in the center aisle after church, and she said, man, your preaching is lousy. I said, well, man, appreciate that encouragement. (laughs) She said, I'm going to pray for you. I said, man, I appreciate that. I need that prayer. I used to have a little phrase I'd say, but I quit using it. Uh, when somebody would say that, I'd say, "Well, good. I need I need the prayer, and you need the practice." But I, you know, I didn't I didn't think I'd that'd come over well. So she she prayed. And three weeks later, three weeks to the day, met me in the same spot. She goes, "You know what? I think your preaching's gotten better. I wonder what changed." I can assure you, on my side, my preparation didn't change. Maybe my delivery changed some. I don't know. But maybe her heart changed and her ears changed and she began to hear the Word and not me. Does that make sense? What a powerful statement how the Word of God can affect people. The joy of the Lord is your strength. see, the Word brings joy and there's joy in forgiveness, isn't there? When you can be forgiven or you can extend forgiveness, there's great joy that happens from that. Try it. Try it. Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I don't think you will ever be comforted until you learn to mourn in the right way. So, what does the joy of the Lord mean? It's the fact that God has found a solution to these problems of sin. He's found a way to, uh, back to the sensible, sober, wise, and helpful, wholesome living that we need. How does He do that? By learning to think like He thinks. That's how we do it. Begin to see the world from His point of view. See people with Jesus' eyes. Remember what Geneva used to say? Here comes Jesus wearing His Geneva suit. Here comes Jesus wearing his Geneva suit. If I could begin to see you with my eyes, they're not mine anymore, they're Jesus' eyes, I'm going to see you different. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could do that? Well, the good news is we can do it if we want to. The Word of God in Psalm 107.20 says, You sent your Word and healed them. The reading of the Word will bring healing to your soul into your body into your bones the ministry of the word of God is to heal us to create in us a desire to share that healing with other people but notice how Nehemiah urges the people to send portions of food to those who had nothing prepared you see we need to start thinking of others who are hurting and let's reach out to them before we keep taking care of ourselves just reach out to them. Let's help them. Uh, if there's a calamity, next, We Cindy and I took a cake across the street. A lady passed away, and the, the wife passed away, and we went over, and knocked on the door, and we had a cake, and we just took it to them. <clears throat> and Cindy said, "You know, we need to do this." I said, "Okay." So we go over there, and uh, Kelsey actually went with me. And we went and knocked on the door. They were so they were so taken aback. The daughter, she goes. Oh my goodness. Dad, look at this. Remember how this used to be? How sad is that story? Is that statement? How this used to be? This should be just common. We should the whole neighborhood should have brought food over to that house. And all we did was just take a cake across the street. But what a profound difference. I have now conversations with the with the husband. We didn't have much conversation, but now we have conversations. He's told me thank you two or three times since she passed away. It's been several years ago. Isn't that amazing? Just one little thing. One little thing. Good health is is something that we all hope and strive for, right? But in the closing verses of this chapter... God had anticipated the need of uh, of His people. Centuries before, He had provided a most remarkable visual aid to remind them of the truth that would keep them from further destruction. Let's pick it up at uh, at verse 13. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Israel, the scribe, to give attention to the words of the law, they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses (coughs) that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seven months and uh, that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make booths, as it is written, (coughs) So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and in the one gate, one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very, very great. Now, this is the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's a reminder that they were called as a people out of Egypt. They were to live in these temporary dwellings because, you see, they were not supposed to hang on to what was here, but just be in anticipation of what yet to come. So I'm never staying here. I don't have my roots here. I'm going to keep on moving because, you see, as I move, then I don't have anything to take with me. I'm ready to go. Nothing's going to hold me and anchor me here. I'm ready to go. Let's get on the train. Let's get on the boat. Let's get on the chariot. And let's go, amen? Let's be gone. And that's why the booze were temporary. You know the song, This world is not my home I'm just passing through. Treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. No, I can't. I want to get out of here. How? Let's go. Let's get up and go. And that's the truth that we need to all live. The truth that will deliver us from the pressures of this world, the pressures of our times. We've got to hold uh, things, onto things lightly. Don't think about houses, cars, money, and material gain. I mean, that's not it's, it's useful, but it's not the most important thing for you. You've got to always be looking where I can release, where I can release. You see, there's great treasures in our life. And those remain untouched. And you feel it so much when you give yourself away. Give yourself away. Give yourself away. And you feel so much better about it. Especially when you can do it anonymously and nobody knows who it was that gave it. And then when you can sit in a distance and watch the person receive the gift and watch them respond to that gift in such a powerful way. Wow. One of my favorite pictures is the gentleman who's kneeling down with his tennis shoes in his hands and he's putting them on the feet of a beggar man. And the beggar shoes have been honed out water bottles that he had his foot down in. And this man was taking his $200 shoes off his feet and putting them on that man's feet. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying go out and buy a $200 pair of shoes and find somebody give it to it. But you know what I'm saying. You may have a pair of shoes on right now and you meet them. They cross your path. And give them your shoes. Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be awesome. C.S. Lewis, great writer and great mind of the past, he said this, Our kind Heavenly Father has provided many wonderful ends for us along our journey. But he takes special care to see that we never mistake any of them for home. (laughs) So true. Well, what enables us to remember that? Verse 18. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So every day they read Scripture. Do you read Scripture every day? Well, I try to. Preacher boy just gets so busy. Quit being so busy. Carve out 15 minutes. Get up earlier. 15 minutes earlier. I can't even see it 15 minutes earlier. Get up anyway. Get up 30 minutes earlier. And then the first 15, you wake up. And the second 15, read the Word of God together. I don't know how you're going to do it, but do it. If you have a commute, if you've got to drive somewhere and it takes you 20 minutes to drive there to work, Plug it in on your phone, on, the, on you, you version and listen to it. Read to you. They'll even read it back to you. You don't even have to read it yourself. You just let them read it to you. I don't know if they've got different voices, man. Pick your voice. Some, some wild-eyed guy from Ireland, let him read it to you. I don't care how it's read. Let the Word of God be read to you. There's no excuse for not being in the Word of God every day. Let it saturate your life. Let it empower your life. Let it become real in your life. Ray Steadman was a powerful preacher years ago. He was asked to write an article on what the Bible means to me. And here's a portion of what he said. The truth is not always easy for me to hear. Sometimes it pierces me and convicts me. Sometimes I wish I could evade it. And then I'm reminded that it was sent to heal me. Often it encourages me and heartens me. Sometimes it restores me when nothing else can do so. It confronts me with paradoxes of revelation which intrigue me and challenge me. It exposes the secular illusions of the day and reveals the destructive ends to which they lead. It deals honestly with uncomfortable concepts and opposes the strongholds of tradition, correcting them with the authority of God. I have learned to appreciate the Bible most because it brings me face to face with my God. That is the reason for Scripture. It is to reveal God to us. The relationship is so real and personal that it seems to be a face-to-face encounter. My Heavenly Father becomes more real and close than any earthly father. I can all but see my Lord and Savior standing beside me and talking to me as I read His words in the Gospels. Sometimes the words of Scripture become so vivid and luminous that I feel like kneeling or even falling on my face before the majesty of God. No other book has such power to transport me beyond earth to heavenly places. If churches would preach this way, understand the Bible this way, if Christians would understand the Bible this way and imply and apply the Bible this way in their life, there'd be no stopping you, no stopping you at all. Because you see, God wants you and me to conduct our lives according to the wisdom of His Word. And don't you think our world would be in the be in a much better condition if we all practiced that? We desperately need the wisdom of God to instruct us on how to live. Would you say amen? Father, I ask you this morning. Would you... Stir in someone's heart today. Cause them to think about where they are with you and what they need to do about that. And, Father, what what they're going to do about it. Father, would you impress upon them the need to respond to you? I think there's something powerful about coming to the front of the church and making a statement. Because then we become accountable. It's easy to sit by ourselves and tell you, but nobody around us knows, and so we're not accountable, we think. Because you're not visible, so you're not going to hold us accountable, but you really will, because your Spirit will prompt us and will prick us in our hearts until we dull it enough to where it won't affect us anymore. God, I just pray today that we would rededicate our life. We would re-instruct ourselves on the power of the word in each of each of our lives. As the Israel did, Ezra read, they responded. God would there be someone today that might respond in Jesus name? Amen.